mindfulness mode. What's one thing that you can insert into the weekend that you know is going to be a multiplier? Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here in Mindfulness Mode with me, your Mindfulness Life Coach and Hypnotist. I'm so glad you joined us. I am so excited and looking forward to spending this time today with a special mindfulness guest. He's an author. He's a podcaster. He's an expert in how to do more, get it done, get out of there and relax and have a great time in life and enjoy life and kick back. He's all about feeding yourself with creativity. Creativity, he says, equals more productivity. And I find that fascinating. I'm here today with Joe Sanek. So Joe, are you in mindfulness mode today? Oh, I sure am, Bruce. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's great to have you here. So what does mindfulness mean to you? Yeah, you know, for a long time, mindfulness, you know, being trained as a counselor and psychologist was something that we were teaching people, but I wasn't really practicing. (laughs) And, you know, it's interesting how it takes some tough things in life to really get you into more mindfulness. And so for me, uh, unfortunately, it wasn't a practice that I was doing uh, that would prep me for difficult times, but it was in reaction to difficult times. But then uh, I think once I started a mindfulness practice and was able to add meditation and um, kind of different ways of being more present, um, for me, I would really define it as you know being in the moment now as much as I can. Uh, to me, I see it as these waves that come in and out where I have thoughts and crazy things going on in my life. And then it's like, wait, I'm, I'm not really being, you know, very mindful here. I need to pay attention more. Um, even when I think about playing with my two daughters, they're seven and 10, uh, you know, to be in the moment with them. Um, and then of course my brain goes to, oh, I could work on this in my business. Oh, what am I going to do this weekend? I need to work on the fence. And then it's like, no, I'm playing with these two delightful girls that actually want to be with me right now. In a few years, they're not going to want to be with me. Uh, so just taking that breath and then coming back and then being patient with myself and realizing just how much it goes back and forth. Well, you're right. It's so important to take the time and spend with your children and and just do what's important. You've written this new book and it's called Thursday is the New Friday. And the whole idea is that, that uh, well, creativity equals productivity and you can get way more done in far less time than you actually think once you get creative. And I know that one of the quotes about this book is that There is no more important book that should be read than this right now. And that's by Pat Flynn. So that's a pretty powerful quote. So you have got so much to say about creativity and productivity. Why is it that creativity uh, causes us to be more productive? What's that all about? Yeah, I think intuitive, we know this and a lot of the science uh, backs it up as well. Uh, but just think about when you have your best ideas, you know, it's not when you're stressed out or maxed out. It's when you're taking a shower, when you're out for a hike, when you're on a long drive and maybe you turn off the radio for a while. Uh, it's when our brains are able to rest, uh, when we're not really in that fight, flight or freeze. And so we know that if we're going to be more creative, it doesn't start with having a week that's maxed out and stressed out. And then we have a weekend where we're just recovering and then we go right back into it. Um, it's where we start with the slowing down, when we start with that, that mindfulness and we allow our brains to relax first and ask those hard questions of, What does this weekend need uh, from me and from my brain? How do I best prep myself for this next week? Uh, The idea that we work five full days and then for two days we take off, 
it just doesn't work anymore. And as we look at the research around the four day work week and about making Thursday the new Friday, we see emerging more and more that countries and businesses that are switching to a four day of work, three days off, uh, are seeing better productivity and creativity. I want to know what is different about your book compared to Tim Ferriss's book, The, the Four yeah. Hour Work Week. What, what's yeah. the difference? You know, that's, it's interesting. I didn't even uh, anticipate like that question has been asked many times to me because uh, I think that idea of the four hour work week or the four day work week, I think the four hour work week has so many great tips for entrepreneurs, for the individual solopreneur, for a small business owner uh, to think differently about how they how they work. And at the time when that came out, there just was nothing else that was like it. Uh, and so it's still a book that for me was at the very beginning of my journey and pushing me to think differently about automations and what is the best use of my time time. Um, but I don't think it's something that's applicable to the greater society. It's, it's applicable to the business society and even has small niches within the business world. Um, but greater society isn't going to shift to a four hour work week. But the four day work week, that's a step that we're seeing that for society is actually happening. Uh, we see countries, you know, like New Zealand and Spain and the Iceland study that just came out with 2,500 people that did a four day work week. We see that Kickstarter is switching over to it. And even small community colleges like Kalamazoo Valley Community College, uh, they switched over to it five years ago and are saving millions of dollars on just air conditioning costs in the summer. And so we see that there's all these business applications um, for the four day work week, which I would say is more of a broader society while still targeting the individual in the book. Um, so we still talk from the individual, what can you do? Um, you don't have to go big society. Um, but I think the four hour work week for the average person um, just seems so far out of reach compared to how they're actually living right now. Yeah, I want to go back to that study, that Iceland study, and uh, talk to me about that. Tell us, you know, what did they discover in that study and how did they apply it? Yeah, it's really interesting. It was a multi-year study, uh, 2,500 people in tons of different industries. So it wasn't just we're looking at automotive workers or we're not just looking at teachers, that it was across the board in a number of different subsections of their society. Uh, and they found that actually productivity was up in four days. Uh, they found that creativity and happiness was up, but an unexpected outcome was that their health outcomes were better, um, that they were less stressed, they were less anxious, all these other kind of ancillary things that they weren't planning to study. Um, and then when we think about, well, why is that? You know, if we go back, you know, less than 100 years to 1926, that's when Henry Ford instituted the 40 hour work week for Ford. Um, how were people living before that? They were working 10 to 14 hour days, six to seven days a week. Wow. So just a crazy amount of work. So that was a huge step for the evolution of business, for the evolution of humans, for just productivity in general. But Henry Ford's reason for doing that was to sell more cars. He had the belief that people weren't going to buy a car if they worked at Ford to get to Ford to work more. Uh, instead, if they had a weekend, that they would buy a car and they'd go have fun, they'd go recreate, they'd go for hikes. They could get more fun things done on the weekend if they had a car to do it instead of just a horse or a buggy. And it worked. And so less than 100 years ago, this thing that we hold dear, the 40-hour work week, was made up by this white dude in Detroit. And, you know, I'm from Michigan. I appreciate all that Ford did. And we can also say we've outgrown him. We've outgrown that industrialist mindset. And that's what the Iceland study really does is it pushes back and says, let's actually look at some data. Let's actually understand what happens here. 
Uh, and we see the same thing happen. I referenced Kalamazoo Valley Community College. Um, it's a small college in Southwest Michigan. And it, you know, this HVAC instructor named Ted Forrester, he ran the numbers on Fridays for the summer of how many students were at the school. And there were so few students and he showed how they could save millions of dollars in just AC costs. But what they didn't know was just how much it was gonna help in other areas. So you think about the average admissions person, you know, all of a sudden now they have a four day work week in the summer, which in Michigan, the summers are beautiful beautiful. And so now, even if you have equal pay or a little more for another job that's trying to get them to leave, they're probably not going to leave because they know they get a four day work week in the summertime. So they had retention. They saw that student success went up because students could come in earlier or come in later during the week. Um, they saw all these other outcomes like health outcomes similar to the Iceland study. So over and over, we're seeing this be replicated in a variety of different ways where unlike the industrialists who give us a prescription model where they say this is the only way to do it, you're either in or you're out. You know, they had that mindset of here's here's the assembly line. We're going to plug you in. You're like a robot. We no longer think like that when it comes to humans. And so each business is starting to apply this differently, different from a prescription model and more from more of an evolutionary model where we say, let's take the menu items and try them out and do some experiments and walk through this. Look at our key performance indicators of what's working. And then we're going to go back. And then we're seeing that this is helping with people with their mindfulness, with their time outside of work in so many different ways. Joe, I want to go back to that equation that is such a central part of your book. Creativity equals productivity. What if I say, but Joe, like, I'm just not a creative guy. It's, it's not my thing. Like, what do I do then? How do I find yeah. my creative, you know, my creative, uh, I don't know, slant? Well, I would start with that. It's good that, you know, you would recognize, hey, I'm not that creative right now. I would add right now. Um, so in the first section of the book, we look at the three internal inclinations that top performers have. And I would say the chapter on curiosity would be great for someone that struggles with creativity. Because as kids, we all were curious. We were all trying to make sense of the world. We'd see things that we had never seen before, like our first car accident or the first dead animal we saw or the first rainbow we saw. These were all firsts that made us curious as kids. Um, even just the other day, uh, I have two nieces that are three and five, and then I have my seven and 10 year old daughter. So I have four little girls playing in my backyard and they discovered a dead mouse in the backyard. They went around it in a circle and they're looking down at it like it's some sort of memorial or something. Yeah. And I overhear them talking about it. And you know, they're saying, well, how do you think it died? Do you think an owl is going to swoop down and eat it? Should we get a shovel and put it in the woods? Should we bury it? Do mouses need to have like a funeral? Like all these questions yeah. that are just curiosity. Um, and then they turn to me and they want me to answer them all. Um, yes. but that, that's who we were as children. And so a lot of this is returning to home, returning to what we once were and realizing that adulthood has pushed us away from curiosity. You know, we were taught that curiosity kills the cat, um, which is such a terrible thing that if you're curious, you're going to die. Um, I actually looked into where that came from. In 1910, the Washington Post had that on the front page of their newspaper because for five days, there was this cat that was trapped in a chimney and it was like nationwide news. Like it was a very slow news week. <laughs> so it says curiosity killed the cat. Um, and this cat, unfortunately, got stuck in the chimney, couldn't get out and died. Um, and so what does that teach us? That if you're curious, if you're creative, you're going to die. That's terrible. It we is don't want terrible. to teach our kids or ourselves that. No. Um, so we wait for these aha moments, these like eureka moments. But the best questions we can ask ourselves is like, why did that happen? That's, that's interesting. This unfolded. And this is true in our personal lives, in our businesses, wherever that okay, this really terrible thing happened in my relationship. 
well, that's interesting. Um, what was going on there? What did I contribute to? What did they contribute to? How do I just allow that to unfold instead of attaching to the outcome that I think that I want to see? And so we see that top performers really have that naturally. And to your question, if you don't have it naturally, um, we start with a baseline where there's a whole assessment in there and it reveals, is this a natural inclination for you? Or is this something that you need some work on? It's not pass fail. It's not like, oh, you're not good at that. So you can't you know, apply the book. No, it's here's your baseline. We just want to know where you're at. Here's some exercises that can help you build some habits, build some, some actions in your life to build that curiosity. Well, it's, well, speaking of challenges, you had your own challenges. You got cancer, your daughter had heart surgery. I mean, you went through a really tough time. Were some of those challenges what instigated you to write this book? Yeah, so that was 2012 and it all kind of hit the fan at once. Uh, my daughter had heart surgery and as soon as the doctors said she was good and healthy, two weeks later I was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, and then my best friend's wife had breast cancer, my grandma died. It was just one of those terrible years that yeah. you know, we all have at some point, unfortunately. Um, but I was working at a community college at the time, full-time. I had my side counseling practice and had just started a podcast, uh, the practice of the practice podcast. So I had all these things going on in this little baby girl who just had heart surgery. And, um, I started to think about my, my 40 hour a week job. And really it wasn't one of those jobs that I hated. It wasn't, you know, you hear about these people in these corporate environments, they hate it and they just leave on the spot. It wasn't one of those, I had autonomy, I had influence. My boss was amazing. So it was even harder because, you know, it paid well and I had a great job. I yeah. could have stayed there for my whole career. That would be hard. But the central, the central question I asked myself was, would I rather stay and never know what I have inside of me or would I rather leave and potentially fail? Um, and to me, that was such a central question to say, you know what, I'd rather leave and potentially fail. Um, and if I fail, I can always come back to the counseling world. Um, so I left, I did my full-time job, um, started practice the practice, got that going more. Um, and over the years, I noticed that I was kind of saying the same thing over and over. Um, and it was around time. It was around the best use of your time to stop. You know, at a certain point, you need to stop taking out the trash. Not that there's anything wrong with taking out the trash, but to have someone else do that so you can focus on those higher level things in your business or in your life that are the biggest things that you want to focus on. And so over time, I'm teaching these things to larger and larger groups of people. And then I knew in 2018 that I wanted to write a book. So I, I hired a writing coach that really every Thursday we talked for hours. And there was a certain point where I was just like, what are we doing here? She just got me talking. And I'm like, like I want to get down to business. I'm an achiever type. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but really what she was doing, is she was sifting through what are the things that Joe's learned from other people? And he's just kind of regurgitating. And what's unique to him? Uh, because, you know, when you write a book, you want it to be new and you're going to get those questions like, how is this different than Tim Ferriss's book? Uh, you don't want it to be just regurgitating like old things while also recognizing sometimes the best ideas are the merging of several ideas into one. Um, and so Nancy, my, my writing coach, really helped me understand that the four-day work week and helping people to be able to work less and make more and to do it for the purpose of living a better life and having a greater contribution to society, that that really was the unique thing that I kept teaching over and over and over. And so it definitely came out of that pain of 2012. I would say that was just the springboard to get me questioning, like, what am I doing here and what could I be doing here? So Joe, where do I start? If I'm a, like, let's say I'm a workaholic and I'm just pushing, 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 pushing. Where do I start to get myself onto the right track? 
Yeah, I would say this coming weekend, whenever you're listening to Bruce's podcast, do do two things. You're going to add one thing and subtract one thing. So super small. So you're going to look at your weekend. You're going to say, what can I add into this weekend that's going to give me more life, more excitement, uh, feel even better on Monday morning? Uh, so it could be I've got this friend that I just love hanging out with, but I never reach out to get coffee because I'm too busy doing soccer, um, you know, with the kids, or, you know, maybe it's, I'm going to spend some time reading a book this weekend that I've just wanted to read, or I need to go for a hike by myself or with my kids. What's one thing that you can insert into the weekend that you know is going to be a multiplier. And then what's one thing you can take away. So maybe you have plans with a friend on Saturday morning and you were going to get coffee and that's a toxic friend. And every time you leave that friendship, you feel like junk, you feel like trash. I give you permission to cancel that coffee date. Um, maybe it's something as small as, you know, you're sick of mowing your lawn all week. You're like, why am I spending my weekend mowing my lawn? I'm sure that neighbor kid would love to get the 30 bucks to mow your lawn. Uh, or maybe it's, I'm sick of grocery shopping on the weekend. I don't want to spend my time, you know, half of a Saturday getting food. Maybe you use Shipt or Instacart to just do that this coming weekend, spend the extra $25. So we're not talking huge things, but we're saying what's one small thing that really is going to reduce your stress and increase your happiness. So add one thing and subtract one thing. So is meditation a part of your life, Joe? It is. Um, I love Sam Harris's waking up app. Uh, that's something that to me has been just so helpful. Um, it just kind of reminds me of like who I am outside of all the junk going on in life. Um, and it also, I think, is a good prep when I know that I'm going to have a more stressful day or a busier day um, to remind myself that I don't have to go to my natural achiever type. Um, that's where my natural bend is, is to be an achiever, like, you know, honors college student, do everything right. Uh, that's my natural bend, which has served me in a number of ways. But meditation has helped me chill out and realize that I'm not what I'm doing. I just, I'm okay who I am. Well, your book is Thursday is the new Friday.com. We can go there to the website and check it out and, and order it and, and get it. It's, it's coming out in October, isn't it? Yeah. And that's exciting. Yeah. Is there any other book you would recommend for somebody that just can't get a grip on the creativity in their life? They just want to add to more creativity. Yeah, I would say that for creativity, um, the book, The War of Art is one that I've really enjoyed. Um, I would say any, you know, uh, Lao Tzu is like uh, the I Ching for me has been just such a good, um, just grounding yourself. I think a lot of times we try to do things first before we work on our insides. And I would say we need to really work on our insides first. So whether that's kind of your own personal trauma, doing counseling with EMDR, um, you know, just being okay with yourself more, that's going to create better art than if you just say, well, what, what's the artistic book I need to read? I would say you got to start with your insides first to make sure that there's not a big storm going on there. Yeah, I think that's a very good piece of uh, advice. Very good piece of advice. So how has your life changed since you wrote this book and did all the research and put all these thoughts and ideas together, Joe? Yeah, you know, what's interesting is when you're writing a book about productivity, you can start implementing productivity things right away. So yeah. even as I was writing this book, as I would discover um, different brain hacks in regards to uh, writing, I would apply them to my own writing process. So, for example, every Thursday was when I was writing Thursday is the new Friday. Um, I started by uh, protecting my brain so I wouldn't look at texts. I wouldn't look at the news. I wouldn't look at email before I started writing. I would keep it as clean as I could. I would have a healthy breakfast in the morning and have all the things that I needed to do that. So I had my smoothie and my green tea and my coffee and, you know, had all that ready. 
in my office, uh, I would change the lighting. So that's triggering my brain then to get back into that flow state. So I had a little bit more dim lighting than I have when I'm doing my more straightforward um, work. Uh, I actually moved the chair that I wrote in to a different part of the room so that it's again triggering that environment. Uh, and then even having a specific playlist in headphones that I only used for when I was writing. Um, so finding and discovering these things that would help me be more efficient while I was writing the book. So it's sort of this interesting thing where I'm writing about writing the book in the book because I'm like, I'm learning these things that's making me write faster. And so I'm writing in the book about the things I'm writing the book on. So uh, I would say that that, but then even just continuing to say, you know, as you level up, um, there's more and more pressures and you have to decide, are you gonna stay true to what, what you've decided? So when do I bend to do a little bit of work on Friday? When don't I bend? Um, how much do I allow myself to bend? And even inviting people like my kids into my life to, to push back on those things. So even just last night, my girls uh, wanted to play Mario Kart and they said, dad, leave your phone in the kitchen. We want you to just watch us play Mario Kart. And so I'm there rooting them on and yeah. fully present in it. Um, but it's important to have your family members on board too, to be able to call you out on stuff that uh, maybe isn't great for you. How has this change in lifestyle changed how you experience your own emotions? Mm. You know, I've always been pretty in touch with my emotions. I think that um, that's not been something that I've struggled with. You know, I know a lot of guys in particular can struggle with uh, identifying their emotions. So uh, for me, it's been more... Um, how do I apply that to my own single dadhood? Uh, I'm raising two girls on my own and um, to really make sure that I take the time to give them the strongest emotional intelligence that they can have. And so uh, to give them lots of hugs, to give them lots of I love yous, to help them find their own voice and find their own boundaries and be able to push back and say, you know what, I don't want to hug and that they understand consent and they understand all these really important things that girls need to know in the world. Um, to me, it's it's less my own emotions and more taking those emotions and how do I try to pass them on to my seven and 10 year old daughters. Yeah, I always like to ask a question about breathing. What is breathing like for you in your life? Is there, do you put a special focus on that? I would say breathing in my life, if I actually honestly looked at it, it's probably shallow breaths too often. Yeah. Uh, and then realizing, oh, I'm breathing too shallow. I need to take some deep breaths here. Uh, and so it's a, I wouldn't call it constant struggle because I think that gives it too much power, yeah. but it's a um, growing awareness <laughs> yeah. uh, where uh, I realize, okay, like slow down a little bit, Joe, like chill. my natural pace is like faster and faster. And so to rein that in and then to be more aware of my breath uh, is something that I continually am trying to, to work on. Yeah. Well, I really uh, am excited to read the book. Thursday is the new Friday. I think it's it's going to be a very interesting read. And and uh, hearing Pat Flynn recommend the book is is a real thumbs up for your book. Uh, what other feedback have you received about your book since uh, you've made it available for people to read? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So Harvard Business Review did an article, allowed me to publish an article there on how to ask for the four-day work week. Um, CNBC's uh, Making It uh, is having me on there. Um, the Bloomberg News is having me on during launch week. Um, John Lee Dumas has supported it. Dr. Julie Schwartz-Gottman, um, she and her husband, John, have done probably the leading marriage research in the world. Um, Rob Bell, who's a, a spiritual teacher, endorsed it. 
um, Kevin Harrington, who's one of the original sharks from Shark Tank. And so, it, I mean, the list is going on and on, but it's just amazing to see all these different industries because, you know, the Rob Bells of the world, he's more on the spiritual teacher side, whereas Kevin Harrington is more on the business side and Julie Schwartz Gottman's more on the psychology side. So I think that people are seeing the broad application of the book uh, to multiple industries, which has been exciting because, you know, you, when you're writing it, you think that's going to happen. You, you see the applicability, um, but you never know how it's going to really take off. And if the especially the media is going to give it the the support that you hope it gives it. Yeah. Joe, it's been such an honor to have you on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to to talk to me about this book. And uh, Mindful Tribe, I just really recommend you go to thursdaysthenewfriday.com, order the book, check it out, get more creativity in your life, enjoy all of those special moments. So thanks again, Joe, for being on the show. Bruce, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Bye now. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening to the episode today. And as we talked about on the show, the pandemic has caused a lot of us to rethink aspects of our life. You know, life is short. It's important to enjoy the time we have here and feel as good as possible. And if we can do all the important stuff in four days rather than five, and when I say important stuff, you know what I'm talking about, you know, earning money, job, whatever it is, well, isn't that better? So that you can spend more time relaxing. Like I said on the show, I'm looking forward to reading Thursday is the New Friday because I think that it's a very powerful book that Joe has written. Well, I'm also so grateful to be using self-hypnosis every day in my life to fend off anxiety, to stay grounded, and just generally to, to feel terrific. I've taught self-hypnosis to 23 listeners now, 23 Mindful Tribe listeners. I was just counting them up. And you can learn it too. Do you wish your life didn't feel like a scramble? Like you're rushing all the time to get everything done? Well, self-hypnosis can help with that. And I just love teaching it one-on-one. If this is something you'd like to look into, send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. Put Joe in the subject line and I'll know you were listening to this episode with Joe. We'll jump on a free Zoom call. We'll talk about whether hypnosis or self-hypnosis is right for you. And we'll just we'll just take action and make it happen. Taking action is is something that I just truly believe in. So hey, take what we've learned today and reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.